Thanks, Jim. Now, at no expense spared today, we have Paul Phillips here all the way from Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Paul is going to be preaching to us um, shortly, sharing some more about our Simply Jesus series. But before he does, as always, he has loads of stories to share. So we're going to ask him to share some stories, and then he'll tell us what God has to say to us this morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's been, uh, it's nice to be home. It's been over a month since I've been here. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> well, I'll just go then, won't I? <laughs> well, it's nice to be back. Uh, and just before just sharing some stories from the month being away, I just wanted to share something before I forget it, just to throw it out. As we were singing earlier, I put you first. Um, that might involve a whole load of different themes for different ones of us. But uh, I felt maybe for one or two people, that might actually be a literal statement where maybe you've been around church for a long time, uh, maybe you know quite a lot about God, you know the Bible, but God's just saying, I want you to put me first. I want to be in charge of your life. So if that applies to you, maybe come and speak to me afterwards and I can just share a little bit about what that can look like. Anyhow, that was just off the track. Yeah, I've been away for yeah, a month and um, been out of the UK longer than I've been in the UK during April. And there's been a couple of things. One of them was a gathering of just over 500 people uh, in Turkey. I can now tell you the countries because it's not a security issue. And um, just crying out for God to move amongst the Muslim people. Uh, and that was fantastic and great. The only bit I really wanted to feedback from that, which I wasn't sure if been fed back already was, I know a number of you that have been um, in this church a little while have taken up the challenge to pray for ISIS, and um, if, if you're not doing that, you want to be involved, speak to me afterwards, we've got a theme for praying for ISIS, a 30-day theme, that I, I heard that at least one group of ISIS fighters are starting to study the Gospels and thinking about how can they apply that in their lives. Wow. I was in a Pentecostal church last week. I heard a lot more. I'm, all, I'm used to now amens and hallelujahs. But, uh, but that's just amazing. That is staggering. So I'd encourage you to keep um, praying. And then um, I literally came back uh, last Monday. I've been away for about 14 days. I'm still kind of, um, yeah, I'm tired. I've been sleeping the last few days. And um, it, I was in a place called Ethiopia. I was in the very far east corner of Ethiopia, not far from the the border of Somalia, and um, I was, um, I didn't organize it, and the training's still going on, it's um, four to five weeks of training, and I was there for the first week, and literally, it might sound quite simplistic, all we did was, uh, we prayed hard in the morning, saying, God, we need a breakthrough, God, we need to know how to reach uh, these Muslim people that live in this part of the world, and then we taught them from Matthew um, chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10, you don't need to look, but it's just really the story where Jesus sent out the 70 and 72. So we're going to talk them that and then say, just go and do it. And then they went out for five or six hours and then they came back and reported. And then we prayed into that, did a little bit more training and sent them out again. And uh, yeah, it was just um, the picture at the bottom is literally the first time we sent them out. We're just going to anoint them all with oil. We send them out in groups. Six groups, and when they got to the area, they split two by two, just like in Scripture. And uh, the first day they came back, and um, it didn't go according, exactly according to how we planned it. Um, they led 13 Muslims to Jesus. And uh, so, 
which is good. <laughs> they weren't obeying the instructions. We told them not to speak to anybody for the first <laughs> For the first day, we told them just to pray, soak this land with prayer, and ask God what to pray for. The other thing we asked them to do, which might sound a bit um, strange, was we said, look for men and women of peace. Because we're not interested in random individuals. Particularly in that context, if you get random individuals and they start following Jesus, normally their persecution causes them to close down or to move away. And that's not what we wanted. And so I haven't heard this week, their aim was to find... Um, 44 men and women of peace. And if you want an example of what that might look like, um, they'd started meeting some even before I left. There was a particular um, story I like. There was a lady there who, I don't know exactly, she was a Muslim lady, and she had um, figured out somehow that there was power in the name of Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and um, so she'd had a couple of experiences once when um, pretty much everybody here was a farmer. I mean, these guys you're seeing here, I mean, there's a great commitment. They'd given up two years of their life uh, to go and share Jesus amongst Muslims and, and involved initially five weeks. Uh, and half of these guys are farmers and it's, it's sowing season. Uh, and so, and it was, uh, I mean, I was there teaching, but I mean, I learned so much from their, their example. And anyway, going back to this lady... So I get distracted. Um, she was out in the field one day, and, and a cow fell on her, as, as, they, as they do. And <laughs> was building steady on its legs. And um, she was trapped underneath this cow. And, and she was, there was nobody around to help her. So she cried out in the name of Jesus, and the cow just jumped up and walked off. And, um, and <laughs> try that next time. Yeah, that happens to you. <laughs> A little piece of practical advice. And, um, and then another time she was giving birth and she was just really just having, to, you know, the, the baby wasn't coming, was, you know, coming to that critical stage where, you know, it was kind of stuck. And she remembered and she cried out uh, to Jesus and the baby just popped out. When I told my wife, she said, oh, I wish I'd known that. <laughs> it would have made life a lot easier. Anyhow, so when these couple of people came by saying they're coming in the name of Jesus... She said, I've always wanted to know about this Jesus who I called out to. Can you come back in a few days' time? Because I'm going to gather my whole household so you can come and share Jesus. So that's what I mean by what we want, men and women of peace, people that open their whole households into, um, to allow Jesus to move. So the idea is they found these people, and they would have planted a community of faith, which means between maybe 5 and 15 Muslims, within the next two or three weeks. I mean, if, you, if, if they don't succeed on doing that, I mean, you're talking about 200, 300 Muslims led to Jesus. Uh, and that's just, that's just phenomenal. Yes, Jonathan, that's worth shouting about. That is just uh, phenomenal. Take it from me. When I first went to work amongst Muslim people, literally 15 years ago, a lot of people's dream that worked amongst Muslims was to see one Muslim come to Jesus in their lifetime. Now we're starting to see a turn where literally hundreds of Muslims are starting to come to Jesus. And it was a great privilege just to be uh, a part of it. Um, at least one third of the people here uh, are Muslims that follow Jesus now. Next year they're going to do the training and you're going to have to be a Muslim that follows Jesus to be allowed to go in the training. And then they hope to go into Somalia. And uh, so it's just powerful. And then the idea is that in six months' time as part of this, um, they have to take one of the men and women of peace that they met and go and plant another community of faith within six months. I didn't set the standards. but uh, So that's just been 
I've had this before. I've got water dropping on me. <laughs> it's just a place to be. <laughs> All who are thirsty. Sorry, sorry, I just had a drop of water drop on me. And, um, Mike, if you've got any spare time before your wedding, we've got a leak here. <laughs> but, uh, and so just keep praying for this. You know, there has been opposition. Um, at least one of the places where we went, the next day, the, the local mosque had a message broadcast saying, um, we are aware that there are foreigners going through this area and do not listen to them. They have come here to deceive you. Uh, and so we prayed really hard into that, what we should do. It was, there seemed to be nothing happening and we were teaching them listening prayer and they felt like God said, go to the west of that kind of village. And they went to the west and that's when they started finding men and women of peace that opened the door. So prayer works, God hears uh, and keep going for it. Right, I'm going to stop, um, just because we'll, we'll have no time. And, um, but if you want to hear more stories, feel free to speak to me. Um, some of this will come out on, my, on the newsletter I'll do sometime this week when I get a spare moment. If you don't get my newsletter, speak to me afterwards. But keep praying for this. You know, this is a massive thing that this would just, inc- it was such a privilege to be there, but just that this will happen and that it will increase and it will multiply. But I guess... Best get speaking. I don't have the privilege I had last week. Last week, uh, just before I left, um, I spoke in a, an Ethiopian church, and pretty much every Ethiopian church I got told was Pentecostal. And they told me, can you, can you yell? Can you speak loud? I said, yeah, I can do. It's not my normal um, style. They said, if you're, if you're not very good, speak for 40 minutes. If you're good, you can have two hours. <laughs> Whoa, I like that kind of church. <laughs> But anyhow, I don't have that, that, length of, that length of time. I spoke for an hour, if you're curious. And uh, we, as you know, in the news last week in Ethiopia, one of the main pieces of news was ISIS um, killing a load of um, Ethiopian um, civilians that had really impacted. I mean, pretty much that's all you saw on TV the whole time. All the flags were flying at half-mast. And so they sent a message saying, had anybody experienced work amongst Muslims and anybody had any experience of kind of suffering and pain or being threatened with a life. So I was nominated. And uh, it was a very powerful time. I spoke that our response should not be according to what the BBC or CNN or the news says. Our response should be what Jesus says. And so I spoke about the power of love and the power of forgiveness. And uh, it was a very powerful, powerful time. Right, since I've been away, everything changes. Um, we've been doing a series, which I quickly caught up with this week. Who is this man? Let me just... And I know Nigel, I think, has been doing the, um, the last two talks. It's a great question. Because what we, our response to this question, who is this man, who is Jesus, will outwork itself in the way that we think and, that, and the way that we live. You know, Jesus challenged his um, disciples. The disciples were discussing about, you know, Jesus and, you know, who different people said he was. So Jesus asked him this, this question, who do you think I am? I don't know what answer you would give. I know the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the different angles and perspectives. And we've been drawing very heavily on a series of talks done by a vineyard pastor called Jay Paffick, who's drawing very heavily on something called Tom Wright or N.T. Wright. Now, when you start thinking about uh, Jesus, there's just so many facets uh, to him. 
I don't know how you think of Jesus, how you relate to Jesus. I know some people relate to him as their, their savior. You know, the person that came to die through what he did on the cross, we can receive forgiveness for our sins, that he's our rescuer. For some of us, he's like our, our counselor, our advisor, the one we turn to when we need help. For some of them, like me, I'd say initially my kind of connection uh, with Jesus was as a, as a friend. I was born in the Republic of Colombia. I was the wrong color, the wrong language. As a little boy, it was just kind of comforting to have Jesus as my friend. I don't know how you relate to Jesus, but however you relate to Jesus, there's a lot more, that, a lot more different ways that we can relate and we can connect to him. And so we've been exploring that. And it's important that we keep on exploring it. You know, this series finishes uh, this week. And we've just touched on a few different areas. I'm going to be looking at Jesus as a new temple. But I'd encourage you to keep pressing in. As a church, we're always seeking, seeking to grow and develop in our understanding of God and who he is. Because our understanding and revelation of who God is will ultimately always feed forth into how we live our lives. When we want to see a, a breakthrough in our lives, when we want to see a breakthrough in our church, when we want to see a breakthrough in any area of, of ministry, often there is a correlation. I'm going to move this. I keep getting dripped on. <laughs> Glad it's not one of the electronics. And um, we need to have a corresponding revelation of who Jesus is. We need to press into that. And so just as I kind of start the talk, I'm just going to pray for that fresh, that we would get fresh eyes, fresh revelation, because we need that. I don't want to just do, uh, you know, I know Nigel's done a couple of talks and kind of interesting, that's a nice angle to consider Jesus from. We need to get that revelation and insight within us. So God, I just pray that you release your spirit of wisdom and, and revelation here this morning. I pray that you'll give us fresh eyes to see you in a fresh and a new way, God. Lord, I pray that just like Bartimaeus in Scripture, we just pray, open our eyes because we want to behold you. We want to see you in a new way. Come and change us this morning, we pray. Amen. One of the ways that Jesus came and he gave us a new perspective and a new angle was him declaring himself to be a new temple. Jesus came to make all things new. When he walked around saying, here I am, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, I'm bringing the rule and reign of God in this place. It's breaking through in our time in this place. Like anything, when anything new happens, it could be pretty much anything uh, there's often resistance. And often the greatest resistance comes from those who benefited most or had the most interest in the old system, the old product, whatever it, it may be. And in the case of Jesus, the main resistance and opposition came from the religious leaders. You see, the temple was kind of crucial. It was like the main thing um, kind of in the Jewish faith. This was the place that they were to come to particularly if they could make it at least once a year. This was a place where they could come and offer sacrifices. This was a place where they could be made right with God. It was the center of the whole system. It was the center of the whole religion. It was the center of how things 
could and should be done. And it was very much set up in a certain way. I didn't have time. I was going to do some fancy little diagrams. But like I said, I've pretty much slept yesterday and slept the day before. But if you had a picture of the temple, it was very much set up with certain places. This is where certain people of a certain sex could go. This is where males could go. This is where females could go. This is where you could go. If you weren't you know, Jewish, pure Jewish by birth, this is where you could go. This is where you could go if you were what you'd call a Gentile. Gentile was somebody who wasn't Jewish. It was kind of all there. It was all prescribed. If you wanted to go into this place, you needed to do this. If you wanted to go into the most special place of all, which they call the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could do that, and he could only do that once a year, and he had to do this, that, and the other. I can't remember all of it, but it involved a lot of blood, and it involved a lot of sacrifice. And it was all prescribed. And then Jesus came along in his kind of gentle but yet um, real way and says, I'm bringing along a new way that we can connect and we can relate to God. So looking at John chapter 2, verse is 13. I think it, I've got it coming up. Sorry for my small font and um, I was cutting and pasting last night as fast as I could. And it's, it's quite a well-known story. Jesus clears the temple courts. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins and the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us? to prove your authority to do all of this. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he has spoken of was his body. So kind of Jesus comes along, and kind of is more than just kind of knocking over all the kind of money changers. I mean, I probably could have found a lovely picture of this. It was a more declaration. He was declaring, this was your basis of authority. This was the basis of how you kind of connect and you relate to God. I'm coming along and I'm doing a new thing in a new way. And in some ways they were aware of it because they could see that he was challenging the status quo, the authority, which is why they said to him, you know, what authority have you got? What right have you got? Be able to come along and say what you're saying. And Jesus declares that he can do it because of who he is. That he's going to be the new temple. Just to kind of expand on that a little bit, and we're just going to play a clip by something called Tom Wright. And in that clip, he kind of describes and gives us a deeper insight into what Jesus was up to and what Jesus was seeking to show through what he did in the passage that we just read. So Chris, you can just play that. Throughout his public career, which was quite brief, just a year or three, um, Jesus was doing things which had a particular meaning in the world of his day. When he 
announced to an individual on the street, your sins are forgiven, he was giving that person the kind of assurance of God's forgiveness which that person would normally have got by going to the temple, offering sacrifice, doing the uh, standard things, and then having a great party, a great feast to celebrate God's goodness and forgiveness. Jesus said, right here, your sins are forgiven, and they had the party right there. Who did you think he was? What was he doing? It was like in our culture, somebody offering to issue you a passport or a driver's license just there on the street. And in his culture, that must have meant he was doing things which were kind of upstaging the temple. And his whole public career was like that. There is one exception which we need to note, that when he cleansed lepers, on one occasion he said, go and show yourself to the priest and make the offering. The reason for that is quite clear. If the leper had gone back to his village and said, I met some wandering prophet who tells me I'm clean, they would have said, oh yeah, sorry, you know, it doesn't work like that. He needed to do that in order to get the bill of health for his family. But usually it was just on Jesus' say-so. Now, this meant that Jesus throughout his ministry, not only at the end, was embodying a kind of radical alternative to the temple, which he seems to have believed it was his vocation to do. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, it was him and it was the temple, and who was representing the will of God and the coming kingdom of God. And so on top of that, we have in Judaism already at the time, quite a popular dissent from the temple and critique of the temple. Not only the Essenes, but a lot of the poor people felt that the temple was an oppressive structure which the high priests ran to their own advantage. It's noticeable in Josephus that at the start of the war in 66, the first thing the rebels did when they got hold of the temple was to burn the records of debt. That's like somebody going into the central bank and uh, exploding the computer that's got all the overdrafts on it. You know, So the temple... A lot of people thought the temple was a bad thing. Jesus is going beyond that and is saying God is now doing something which is making this system redundant. Now, why does his action mean that? Turning over the tables of the money changers stopped for a few moments, maybe half an hour, an hour or so, the flow of sacrificial animals which were coming in, being bought. You had to buy the animals there because if you brought a sheep from Galilee, a wolf might nip its ear on the way down and then you have to go all the back, way back and get another one because it wouldn't be pure anymore. So it's, it's not a protest against commercialization. You know, people sometimes come into Westminster Abbey and say, what are you doing with a bookshop here? You know, We should cast the traders out of the temple. That's not the point. It's not a protest of that sort. It's a way of symbolically stopping the regular sacrificial protest. And what that says is this whole system is under judgment and one day before too long the system will stop completely because the temple will be destroyed. And the whole of the sequence in Mark's Gospel from Mark 11 where that happens through to Mark 13 is all about the temple and its destruction ending with the discourse on the Mount of Olives which is Jesus answering the disciples' question when is the temple going to be destroyed? Now, from that moment on, Jesus' fate is sealed, it seems to me. But what he is doing in the course of that is saying quite radically, what you have in and through my work is the reality to which the temple pointed. People often say, like people said to Paul about the law, does this mean the law was a bad thing? Does this mean the temple was a bad thing? And often historians of religion have said, oh yes, it was a kind of an early development. They thought they had to do stuff with the sacrificial system and killing animals and so on. And we've now grown up and we know we don't have to do that, so how stupid were they? Jesus never says that. 
For him, the temple was a true signpost to God's future. And it is now ripe for destruction, not because it was a bad thing that needed to be abolished, but because it was a true signpost to the reality. But when the reality has come, if people insist only on looking at the signpost, they've missed the point, and they're on the way to ideology or even idolatry. It's rather like if you're trying to show an animal something, a dog something, and you point at the object, the dog looks at your finger instead of looking at the object. In Jesus' day, people were looking so hard at the temple that they couldn't see that he was offering the reality to which the temple pointed. And that's what we then find in the Last Supper and on the cross, Jesus doing the reality to which all along the temple had been pointing. Wow, powerful. See, the temple is meant to point to Jesus. And when Jesus was sharing some of the things they were sharing, it's sometimes hard, and hopefully it gives N.T. Wright gives a little bit of a, a context to thinking. It would, it would just mess with their minds. You know, the temple is where you went to meet with God. The temple is where you went to kind of get yourself right with God. And Jesus is coming along and saying, no more. The temple was just a signpost to me. I am the fulfillment of the temple. The power and the presence of God is amongst each one of us here, he's saying, because I am here. I am that fulfillment. Before, you used to have to go to certain places, do certain things to be right with God. And only certain people could connect with God. And Jesus is saying, like, that's no longer the case. Because of who I am, because of what I have done and I'm doing, that access is available to everyone. Everyone now can go into the Holy of Holies. It's interesting, if you know anything of the, the history of Jesus, when he died, the kind of curtain that was like that separation that only the high priest could go into once a year was torn from top to bottom. And that would be a mighty thing. I think we sometimes underestimate it. It was really thick. I think some people say it was nearly like one meter thick. You know, it wasn't kind of like a little, I used to think it was like a little cloth. You know, you just rip by accident because you got the little thread and you start pulling it in the wrong direction. That was a mighty move of God. And right from the beginning, Jesus was saying, I'm bringing in a new system. Everybody can connect with God. It doesn't have to be restrictive. That is what part of the good news is about. I don't know when you start thinking about your friends and family and when you start talking about Jesus, whether they see him as good news. Maybe I think sometimes people just see Jesus as just installing another type of religion. That there's a new set of kind of rules and regulations. These are the people that can get in. These are the things I have to do to qualify. And Jesus is saying, I have done it. I am it. You can come and you can approach God. You can enter into his presence. You can enjoy kind of reconciliation. You can enjoy forgiveness because of who I am and what I've done. That is good news. Is that the good news that those around us hear? Is that the kind of the, the mentality, the image that they get in their head? I'd say sadly not. So we need to take care about who we are sharing, who are we declaring Jesus is and what it can look like. Just jumping ahead, so you might have to flick through a few things and find it. N.T. Wright then kind of starts to take it a little bit further. He gives that illustration about kind of the passport. If somebody comes along and offers you a passport on the street, 
Um, don't take it. <laughs> I have been in that scenario. Um, <laughs> people have offered passports. And, um, but Jesus walking up to people on the street and offering to people what they could only get or expect to get from the temple. That's what um, N.T. Wright's trying to say. You know, if you want to get a passport, you have to do it in a certain way. You have to apply to the passport agency. I can't remember. I just got, I got a passport. I can't remember I applied for it. But there's going to be a procedure you have to do to get a passport. You just don't go down to Sainsbury's or Asda or wherever is your local shopping place and say, hey, can I just have a passport? In the same way, there was a set procedure. If you wanted to encounter God if you want to have an experience of God, if you want to have forgiveness, whatever it may be, this is what you had to do. But Jesus is kind of just blowing that out of the water. He's saying, you know, healing, restoration, forgiveness is available to all. And you no longer have to go to the temple. In some ways, the temple is going out there on the streets. The functions of the temple are becoming available to all. And that's what Jesus declared in his life. But then he takes it a level further because he says, Not only am I doing this, those who choose to follow Jesus and saying, I want Jesus to be in charge of my life, we are also being given that awesome responsibility and opportunity to take the temple out on the streets. That through our lives to see restoration and forgiveness and healing and all these things that the temple did as a function to become a reality. If you look at John chapter 20, you're going to have to jump forward a little bit. Um, Chris, yeah, jump that one. Oh, yeah, we'll keep. Uh, can you go forward again? Yeah, that's it, and we'll come back. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's a radical verse. I could do a sermon on that, but I won't. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking, I could get a sermon out of that. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. I mean, that was mind-blowing to them because he was saying to what were some ordinary people, I am now giving you what only the priests could do. Only the priests, on behalf of God, could forgive people, release forgiveness to people. Now he's saying that those who follow Jesus have that awesome responsibility, have that awesome chance to be agents to release forgiveness and transformation into people's lives. And it's a challenge and an encouragement for us to enter into that ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's a later one, but we don't need to go to it, we're talked about being the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are walking around with the presence of God in our lives. His authority and his power are with us. And so wherever we go, we can see things begin to change. Wherever Jesus went, there was radical transformation. I mean, you could just go through story after story. You know, you've got an example. Let me just throw out a couple of stories because I don't have that much time. Zacchaeus, a man in the Bible, he was a tax collector. I mean, he would definitely be somebody that would be temple. He would be like a mile from the temple. They wouldn't even let him into the, the inner courts. But with this new kind of framework, Jesus is the temple, and he goes to Zacchaeus. He interacts with Zacchaeus. He brings what Zacchaeus could never dream of, which is forgiveness and restoration. And God does such a mighty work through Jesus' life that Zacchaeus chooses to follow Jesus in a radical way, not just in word, 
but indeed he does even more than what the law said he had to do underneath the old temple system. I think he had to give back like double, if I remember right. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give back fourfold. What I had to do. In an instant, there's transformation. Maybe another example I gave earlier, um, kind of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a, a blind beggar on the corner. Again, not only was he blind, he had been ostracized. In that kind of system, if you were blind, it was because you or somebody in your family had done something wrong. I don't know about you, if I see somebody blind, it, kind of, it touches my heart. In those days, it wouldn't really touch people's hearts. They wouldn't be kind of like sympathetic to the blind person. They would probably just spit on him. That's why they're doing that kind of culture. I think sometimes we forget that. Because for them, to be blind was because they'd sinned or somebody else had sinned. So when Bartimaeus started crying out, it was a bit risk. He was drawing attention to himself. You didn't want to draw your attention to yourself if you are a blind person. Because it meant you were kind of opening yourself to get spat on. Again, somebody would definitely have been allowed to go into the temple. Why? Because somehow he or his family had sinned. But Jesus is changing everything. He's bringing in a new way of thinking and doing things. And he's the one who's going. He's the living temple. Going to Bartimaeus and bringing restoration and healing. In an instant. It wasn't a gradual process. And that's why he calls us to us. I've been reflecting. I haven't had much time to reflect on this talk. But as I've been reflecting on this talk in my own life, it's mind-boggling that he invites us into this. To see lives radically changed instantly forever. To have the words, to have the touch, so that somebody's life is never the same again. That's exciting. And that's an adventure. That's something like, that's one of, you know, when I started following Jesus, that's what I was kind of interested in. I love the stories of Jesus. And he's saying, they can be our stories. We can do that. Through a church, through a word, we can do what they were never able to do before. And that kind of challenge and invitation is there again. I've been reflecting on a song. Chris, if you can just go back a slide. And uh, it's a song wherever I've been going the last month, it seems to be the song of the moment in the circles I'm moving. It's a new song, well, newish song to me anyhow, from uh, Jesus Culture of Bethel. And uh, these are just some of the words. I couldn't get them all on there. But it says, it's to do with Jesus. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. And then the second verse, which I think I put down there as well, yeah. When you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. Yeah, if I was not Pentecostal church, people were yelling there. <laughs> Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. I mean, that's amazing. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there's resurrection life in all you do. And it's great. I mean, I, I love that song. I mean, like I said, I've been hearing it so many times over Muslim nations. We've been praying and, and declaring this. But as I was reflecting on the talk, I was saying, yeah, when Jesus, when you walk into the room, everything changes. But now we represent Jesus. This song should be a declaration of our life if we say we follow Jesus. 
if we really believe this, that we have Christ in us, that we're the new temple, that when I walk into a room, little old Paul Phillips, I am little, <laughs> five foot six, um, when I walk into a room, everything changes. When you, and put your name into that gap, when you walk into a room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've chosen to let him be in charge of your life, everything changes. Because we've been given that ministry. I don't know what you are in. I don't know what your friends or your family or your work colleagues are involved in. But I suspect, if you're alive and you're breathing, somewhere in your kind of sphere of influence, there'll be somebody with sickness. There'll be somebody that feels like they're in a hopeless situation. There'll be somebody that feels like something has died. And we've been called with that opportunity to kind of bring change. We've been invited to walk into those rooms. And so, kind of the, the practical application and challenge for my life, and my challenge to you this morning is, do we want to do that? It's like an invitation. Do we want to be part of that? Take the risk to be aware of who we are, that we are the new temples. We have taken on the mantle and the ministry to bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. Whatever the dead thing may be, we have the living one, the resurrected one within us. Are we going to press into that? And so as we um, might just call the worship band up, and as we prepare for ministry, I don't know if Joe's got any ideas, but as I was kind of reflecting on this, and um, I guess just a, um, a few things. Firstly, like I mentioned right at the beginning, I want to just re-emphasize, when we start talking about inviting Jesus into our life, that's something you've never done before. This is a great time to do it. And if you wonder what it means to invite Jesus into your life, what you're really doing is you, it's an invitation to live that kind of life I just mentioned at the end. To walk into rooms and see transformation. People often think that following Jesus is boring and uh, you know, a, a whole load of other things. Tell you what, walking into rooms, seeing hopeless situations change, seeing the dead rise, whatever that may be, that's not boring. And I'd give you the challenge and invitation again just to kind of participate that. I think the other thing is just to, um, just that kind of challenge and encouragement to say, yes, God, that is part of my calling on my life. And I want to just step into that. I want to see more the activity of your spirit flowing in and through my life, God. I want to see a movement when it comes to healing and the prophetic. I want to be used more to bring kind of forgiveness and reconciliation in people's lives. If you're hungry for more, to step into it. I really believe that this is a new season. I was reflecting this morning, I was praying this morning, and, um, and reflecting on the long time since I've last been here. And I felt like God really said to me, last time you spoke in church, physically it was winter, now it's spring. And I felt like God challenged me just to say, spring has come. Uh, and, and just a spring of kind of breakthrough and stepping in. So wherever it may be, maybe you want to see greater breakthrough in and through your life. Do you kind of come forward to get prayer? You want to be used more in the, in the prophetic or healing 
or to see people come into a living relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're in that position where you just feel, I want to see a breakthrough. I'm kind of fed up with winter. And I want Jesus to walk into this situation and for everything to change. Then again, I would encourage you to come forward. And I know you're too because I can speak. Thank you, Paul. There's a lot to think about and reflect on. So why don't we have the worship band leaders in a song of worship and you might want to sing the words that they sing or it might be that God's talking to you about something particular, about something that he's said. And then so once we've sung, then we'll find a way to respond. Is that okay? So let's stand together.